three years ago, my family and I traveled to Florida for spring break. I've told you, like, that's usually where I go on vacation is somewhere down in Florida because that's where my brother and his family live. And, uh, you know, it's spring break, so we went to Bonnet Creek and uh, in Orlando and, and the resort there. And, and when we go down, we usually spend time at the resort uh, because there's a lot of things to do. There's mini golf, there's... Uh, swimming and all that kind of stuff. and uh, Or we'll go to one of the theme parks. And nowadays it's been universal because my brother's kids are teenagers, and so Disney is not quite what they want. Although I keep telling them, you know, when they get in their 30s, it will be what they want because they're teenagers at Universal. Um, teenagers are fine. Like, they're fine. Anyway, <laughs> uh, we'll find other things to do around Orlando. But because Sundays are usually busy for me, um, for some reason. I will a lot of times leave on Monday and drive down by myself. And when we go down, it's 15-hour drive, I think, or so, if you take it straight through, which is usually what I do when I drive down there. And uh, stop every three hours because I'm old. and that, Or at least that's when my back is like, okay, you need to stop now. But So that's what, that's what I did that week. I drove down the 15 hours, got to Orlando that evening, and we were... We were excited to get moved in, ready to go, and uh, yeah, things were different that year, though, because that was March of 2020, and I think we all remember what happened on March of 20, especially that spring break week, March of 2020, everything shut down, and that included the resort and basically all of Orlando, so it's like, what do we, what do, we do now, because they closed the, the pools, like you couldn't even go down to the pool. And it, it was it was nuts. Um, so we were all stuck in the next or in the room the next day and didn't really do anything. My brother and his family were like, "Well, if we're going to do this, I'm going to go home and do this." And so they they went home and and uh, we decided that we would head home on that Wednesday. So basically, I drove 15 hours, got a day of rest, and then drove 15 hours back home, which. It's not what I want to do. Like, that's, that's not what I like. I like to have, like, a, at least four or five days before I do that drive again. It's, it's tough. But whatever. We made it home. But we all remember that what happened that month, it lasted a lot longer than, you know, we thought it was going to. And, you know, I'm not going to comment on whether that was the right or wrong action to take. I'm not qualified to make that call. But I think that we can all agree that that turned our worlds upside down, right? And did for a while. But we... We ended up weathering that storm and everything. With, but, you know, with the way the world seems to be going, and uh, I'm not going to be surprised if something comes along again that turns our worlds upside down. And the question then becomes, well, where do we go when that happens? Where do we go when the world gets turned upside down? Where do we turn? You know, for a lot of people during March of 2020, they... They started to maybe turn to the news a little bit more. They started to uh, take advantage of that 24-hour news cycle. And what better time was there for a 24-hour news cycle? Never, never is a good time for a 24-hour news cycle. Anyway, but a lot of people turned to the news. Others turned to social media. Also a bad idea. (laughs) Um, Others turned to the church, at least the best they could, because even we were affected by everything. Ultimately, though, where should we turn when our worlds get flipped upside down? We need to turn to God. 
That's what our psalm that we're going through today is going to talk about. We're in the fifth week of our summer in the psalms. And this week we're looking at Psalm 46, like Jerry said. I've actually preached on this passage before. I did a one-off sermon on it. But you're in luck. I could not find any of my notes from it. <laughs> so, you know, you get, a, you get a relatively fresh sermon out of this, um, which is wild. I did, I did go to our YouTube page, watched a little bit of it, so I could see if I was on the similar path to what I was before. And I, I think I am. But it, it was also during COVID when I did this, and so I was wearing that dumb face shield um, while I was doing it as well. In particular, this psalm talks about where do we turn when the world is turned upside down, when the nations and the kingdoms of this earth will fail. It's a psalm that proclaims that God is sovereign over everything. There's a confidence that you can see when you're reading this psalm. A confidence. The psalmist is someone of great, great faith, and it was unshakable. And so let's start by reading the first three verses. Psalm 46, 1 through 3 says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. I've got a bachelor's degree in journalism from IU, And even though my focus was on photojournalism, they forced me to take two writing classes, like two newspaper writing classes. And one of the most important things that we learned, though, was to do this thing that's called not burying the lead. And when you bury the lead, basically what you're doing is you're taking the... You're not starting with the point of the story. You're not starting with the most important thing. You might start with something that you find more interesting, you might start with something that makes it a little bit more creative, the way you're starting it, but it's it's not what's most important to that story. Well, the psalmist here, he's not burying the lead. Like, he jumps right in with the most important part in verse 1, where he says, God is our refuge and strength, and ever-present help in trouble. This is what this psalm is all about. God is our refuge and strength. Let's look at these individually. God is our refuge. Over the last few weeks, we've talked about God being our fortress, and this is similar, right? You've got that fortress, that place of protection. He is our refuge. He is the place where we can go and find safety from the rest of the world. The Lord will protect us from attacks or even from the world turning upside down around us. Psalm 62, 7 says, My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Lord is also our strength. Anytime you're going through something difficult, it takes a lot out of you, right? Whether it's attacks from the enemy or if it's just life coming at you fast and furious, you probably feel yourself getting drained, losing your strength. But the Lord is that foundation that we can build our lives on. He can give us strength in light of all the trouble that we might face. The Lord is an ever-present help in that trouble. God is always there for you. Psalm 139 is a beautiful picture of this. Verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. 
If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. So the Lord is in the heavens, he's in the depths, he's wherever you are. As his followers, we've got his Holy Spirit dwelling within us. So the Lord is ever-present, and he is help in time of trouble. What are those times of troubles? Well, let me read again from verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 46. It says, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. We will not fear, regardless of what's going on. He uses the example of the earth giving way and the mountains falling into the heart of the sea, the waters roaring, the mountains quaking. Think about the earth itself falling apart. Now, ancient Israelites' perception of the the earth is a little bit different than ours. They tended to believe that the world was mainly water with land separating water from the air, from the water in the deep. And so here's a picture that represents how they looked at it. As the author writes, what he's talking about here is um, there are foundations, or, or the heavens and earth have foundations. You can kind of see that there. The Lord set them on foundations, pillars that could collapse. And the earth, the land, could fall into the sea. But there are scriptures that say that that will never happen because the Lord won't allow it. For example, Psalm 104.5 says, He set the earth on its foundation. It can never be moved. One commentator writes about this passage from Psalm 46. It says, We will not fear, even if the earth totters into the sea. As its waves threaten to cover the mountains themselves, we will not fear, he says. Even if the world as we know it, more than that, the world as God has defined it, collapses before our very eyes. I know of no more radical profession of faith anywhere in the scriptures, he writes. Such faith, with its corresponding absence of fear, is built on the truth that God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. But it's not the only place. The earth isn't the only place where upheaval happens. Psalmist also looks to the nations. Verse 4 says, There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Well, in the previous part of the psalm, the waters were dangerous. They're roaring. They're foaming. In verse 4, the waters are now a joy-giving river that is flowing through the city of God, Jerusalem. And it's a figurative image because there's not a river that flows through the city. But the image invokes that river that watered Eden and flowed from it. Genesis 2.10 talks about it. It says, A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. It also reminds us of the river which is to be in the new heavens and the new earth, as described in the book of Revelation chapter 22. Verse 1 says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. 
On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Joy flows like a river through the city because it's where the Lord dwells. As long as God is present in Jerusalem, the city is not going to fall. As in the NASB, New American Standard, it's translated as she will not be moved. And that points us back to the previous section where it talks about the mountains quaking. It's the same word that's used to translate moved and quake. The same for verse 6 as well, where the kingdoms fall or they totter in the NASB. Unlike the mountains or the kingdoms, the city will not fall, for the Lord is there, and he will help her at the break of day. Psalmist continues in verse 6 that the nations are in uproar, and kingdoms are falling. It's as chaotic as the earth and the mountains falling into the sea in verse 3, in the first three verses. I, I would think it, we might be able to relate to this a little bit. You know, we see nations in uproar. We see wars raging. But in addition to that, we see a divide that's starting to happen or has been happening, both socially, politically, and more. And it appears people are getting farther apart and middle ground is being lost. As you look through history, you're going to see kingdoms grow, but then you also see kingdoms fall. Any of the empires that were so dominant in history, they, they fell. Think about the Assyrians. They were conquered by the Babylonians. Babylonians were conquered as well. Roman Empire fell. Kingdoms fall. But even though the nations and the kingdoms are unsteady, they're unstable, God is not. He is all-powerful. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Joy flows through the city because God is there. Like it says in verse 7, which is kind of a refrain because it gets repeated later, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord is our fortress. He is our stronghold. He is with us and he will protect us. Because of him, we can have peace. Verse 8 says, come and see what the Lord has done the desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. This is what's coming. The psalmist writes, you know, come see what the Lord's done. Again, the NASB translates it, come behold the works of the Lord. See the desolations he's brought on the earth. Desolations means devastation, ruin to lay waste. But what are the Lord's desolations here? It's not, it's not the world. It's not the nations. That's what we would probably expect, right? But it's not that. It's the wars, the weapons of war. When we read the desolations he has brought on the earth, we're likely to think of the destruction and wrath that we so often think of with the Old Testament and, and God in the Old Testament. But it is not. The Lord brings peace. He brings peace to the nations, peace to the people of earth. With no more wars, we will have peace. He's going to break the weapons of war, the bow, the spear, the shield. And then the psalmist moves to God, talking to his followers. In verse 10, he says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. 
Nations, they tend to serve themselves, right? They, they seek to be known. They want to exalt themselves. We ask the question a lot of times, like, what's the greatest nation? But the answer is, it doesn't really matter what the greatest nation is. Nations can be great. God is greater. He will be exalted among the nations. The earth, think about the earth. The earth is pretty amazing. I, I find it pretty amazing. I live here. It's pretty awesome. But it's full of wonders and beauty and life. The fact that we are on a rock that is hurtling through space at who knows how fast. Somebody does, but it's in a solar system that's joined with thousands of other solar systems, in a galaxy among billions of other galaxies, in a universe, is that's astounding to me. But it is still a creation of the Lord. And most importantly, the Lord will be exalted in the earth. And all of these things are not questions. It will happen. Isaiah 2.11 says, The eyes of the arrogant will be humbled, and human pride brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. They're talking about the day of the Lord. That's what Isaiah is talking about here. What I think is most important for us today is to know that God will be exalted. He reigns supreme as Lord. As his followers, we can take refuge in him knowing that fact. And we can indeed be still and know that he is God. And that be still, that's key. It means cease striving. How many times do we go after something that we want? And, and maybe after that we leave a wake of destruction behind us. Because it's what we want, it's what we desire. We think we know best. God says, be still and know that I'm God. And if he's God, who can't be God? You, me. So we need to be still. Stop striving. When we strive after something over and over, where do we find rest in that? Where do we find peace in that? You don't, right? Oftentimes, we don't find any. It it can be an all-consuming thing. We don't allow ourselves time to rest. Because we're going after those things that we think are important. And they might be important, but they are not of what is most important. And what is most important is what God says is most important. So how do we do this? How do we cease striving? How do we be still? I mean, the simplest thing is you got to slow down. Spend time with God. What does that look like? You know, it's it's... Spending time reading God's word. It's spending time being alone with him in prayer. And it's not just talking to him, but it's listening as well. You can do those at the same time too. Like you can, you can pray and have your Bible open as you pray. You can read your Bible and be praying as you're reading your Bible. What I would recommend you do is that you schedule time alone with God. Like actually schedule it. Put it on a calendar as like a non-negotiable appointment. And if somebody asks you to meet during that time, be like, sorry, I've already got an appointment that I can't miss. Parents, I, I know it's difficult for parents, especially parents of younger kids. I know it's hard to find time. But do what you can. You know, tag team it. Also, having a specific place where you can go, where you go, something specific. It's like, this is where I meet God every day. That helps. 
Maybe you spend time with God on the porch in the mornings. You know, maybe you make it an event, you make some fancy coffee or something. I wouldn't, but, you know. <laughs> Hot chocolate, maybe. But. <laughs> maybe, you, uh, maybe you take a walk on one of the trails in town. Maybe you go sit at Starbucks or somewhere, somewhere on campus. Maybe you got a nook somewhere in your house you can go, or maybe you just do it at your dining room table, your kitchen table. Whatever it is, wherever you do it, wherever you meet with God, just make it important. Have a routine with it. And as you're reading your Bible, you don't have to make it like the deep Bible study time either. Just read. Get a simple reading plan. You know, go through the Bible in a year. If that's too much, go through the New Testament in a year. Or just read the next psalm that we're going to do over and over and over, which is 51, by the way. Whatever you do, just slow down. Get into the Word. Talk with God. Be still and know He is God. He's in control. You do not have to hold on to everything so tightly. Loosen your grip. Let it go. Give it to Him. This world, this culture, it's going to fight you on that. Right? Like, it's so easy to fall down the rabbit hole on stuff that does not matter. Whether you're endlessly scrolling social media, you're binge-watching your favorite show for the 50th time, or if you watch the Weather Channel all day. I wanted to change it up. I always rag on the news. So don't watch the news either. But all day. You can watch it a little bit. <laughs> Whatever it is, like everything in this culture is seeking your attention. And they are very good at it because they know what you like. Because they see what you tap or what your eyes are looking at. They know anymore. And so they're very good at getting you to tap or click or stay on their stuff. But what does that do to us? It wears us down. So we need to be still and to turn to the one who truly loves us and who will give us rest. In Matthew 11... Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested and put in prison. And he, he's in a process. He denounces different cities who had heard his message and didn't repent. But then he says something at the end of the chapter that is so important. In verse 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you need rest, come to Jesus. If you feel like your life is out of control, you're weary, you're burdened, come to Jesus. He doesn't promise it's all going to go away, but he will lighten your, your load. It's still work. Being yoked with someone is still work. That's the symbol that he uses. That's that beam that ties, you know, a lot of times two oxen together. So they can work together to do more than what's possible with one. Even though it's still work, Jesus is with you and is going to take a lot of that burden off of you. And he's going to put it on himself. He says his yoke is easy, his burden is light. 
It's where you find that much-needed rest for your souls. And he offers you his yoke so that you tie yourself and align yourself with him. And he's going to take the brunt of that burden. She's already done for us before. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was nailed to a wooden beam. He is the sacrifice. He is the sin offering, as Romans 8 puts it. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he did it for us, taking that heavy burden off our shoulders and putting it squarely on his own. And he still offers to help ease your burdens today, whatever they are. But you need to let him. You've got to let it go. You've got to give it over to him. You've got to find rest in him. Be still and know that he's God. Today, we've got three people who are making a public commitment following Jesus, and they're going to declare that by being baptized today. Baptism is such a wonderful picture of being buried with Christ, only to be, have come out into a new life walking in step with him. And right now, they're going to be preparing for the baptisms, but we also take this time in our service to remember the sacrifice that Jesus paid for us as we take communion. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I know for a lot of us here today that... We need to cease striving, but we need to learn to be still and to know that you are God. And we don't have to be because you have it. And we know that even though this life is difficult, even though we are still going to struggle and and have to bear some burdens, but you are right there alongside of us. You know, if we use that picture of the, the yoke and the oxen, you are tied together with us. Your spirit lives inside of us. You are ever present, Lord. And we are so thankful for that. We're so thankful that we can come to you boldly approaching the throne of grace with anything that we are struggling with. And you have promised us that you would provide us rest. Help us to give those things over to you, Lord. Help us to loosen our grip. To know that we don't have it all figured out, that we don't have to, though, as well. And that you will take care of us. This side of heaven and on the other side of glory as well. Father, right now we take the time to remember the sacrifice that your son paid so many years ago on that cross. He took our sin, my sin, to that cross. And he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And it's another thing we don't have to be burdened with. We give that to you. Take this time in our service in communion to remember the body that was broken, the blood that was spilled that day on Calvary. But it did not end there. 
And like we will see with these three young people who are making that commitment to be obedient to you in baptism today, as they will rise into a new life, Christ, just as Christ did as he came out of the tomb three days later. We're so thankful for you, Lord. We're so thankful for your gift of grace. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen.